You're listening to Nostalgia Be Damned. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgia Be Damned. My name is Zach. I'm Brandon. A.K.A. DJ Airhorn. (laughs) 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 And welcome again to Nostalgia Be Damned, the show where we kind of rip the rose-colored glasses off of your face and look objectively at movies from the 90s and early 2000s that you probably liked as a kid. Episode 2 here, we're bringing you 1996 sci-fi action blockbuster independence day oh just shy of the actual independence day we suck dude we suck did not make it in time (laughs) knew that going into it we still decided we actually watched this movie on the fourth of july a real american tradition yeah i mean i had fun but we definitely probably should have had it ready brought this one up without even thinking that it was the fourth of july was that i recently watched the sequel independence day resurgence and i gotta tell you that's a terrible, terrible movie. Yeah, I uh, steer clear of it. I wanted to enjoy it. I wanted to actually like it. And I saw the trailer and I was like, probably not. That looks pretty terrible. The reviews were even worse. That doesn't matter. That's in the future. We're looking at the past. The Wonderful Year of 1996. Now, this was actually the number one film of 1996. I believe that. And actually, at the time, was like the second highest grossing worldwide film of all time. At the time, I think right after Jurassic Park, I guess. Wow. Pretty crazy. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, what it was rated? I I assume you have all the numbers from that we had last week, maybe box office. I do indeed, Mr. Zach. Well, tell us Well, first off, it cost about $75 million, which was a pretty big... Substantial. That's less than the Space Jam budget. That's true. That is it's <laughs> less slightly than less. Space yeah, Jam. yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, it wound up grossing fifty million just the opening weekend, and wound up going on to gross three hundred and six million wow. uh, in just the United States. This was a huge hit. Yeah, huge. Awesome. And um, it actually was considered to be a pretty significant turning point in the history of the Hollywood blockbuster because it was one of the very first films to ever have like a midnight showing or they started showing it on July 2nd which as you know is when the film starts to take place yeah Yeah, exactly awesome and we're gonna touch on a little bit about what this movie meant in terms of effects back when it came out because uh, some pretty impressive stuff going on in Independence Day but uh, tell us what was it rated on Rotten Tomatoes so it's got a 60% on Rotten Tomatoes, technically considered fresh, not certified fresh, but yeah. not rotten, but right. right on that cusp, which is why we decided we could we could definitely do it because I think it's one of those movies that's that's aged particularly strangely. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's definitely a 90s movie through and through. It hasn't really stood the test of time entirely, but we're going to get more into that later on. But 60% on our uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, 6.9 on IMDb. Okay. So that's fairly highly good. rated. Yeah, not too yeah. bad. Not too bad at all. Also won an Oscar for best visual effects. That doesn't surprise me. Um, I think we were talking earlier the other day about this movie using a lot of practical effects. It did. And it's really impressive. One of the notes that I had taken down was that um, when we were watching it, even by today's standards, the explosions in this movie, pretty impressive. They still look good. They look great. They're exciting. Um, A lot better than the CGI. I I don't know when you see movies like this that were so successful, people, I mean, maybe money, but people move away from practical effects, and I don't like it. No, me neither. I much prefer the models and what they're doing in this movie. In fact, this actually holds the record for the most miniature model work to appear in one film. Um, And it actually is uh, most experts believe this record will probably stand forever because of the advances in digital technology. (laughs) We're just seeing less and less of them in movies. So this will probably be the the most miniatures you'll ever see in a movie. I got to tell you, even in the sequel, I don't think they used any miniatures in that movie. Everything looks CGI'd. 
I hate that movie. <laughs> Dude, I just want to see. I did like Bill Pullman in a beard. And Jeff Goldblum still looks still looks beautiful. Jeff Goldblum is still handsome. Yeah. He's I mean, a... we compare him from Independence Day and the sequel. He's still just an ageless man. He looks amazing. Very strange. But let's kick into Independence Day, my friend. July 2nd is when we open up. And we open up on the moon with the iconic giant shadow as it slowly starts to eclipse or overlap the moon. And then we get kicked back to 99, I think it's 96 with R.E.M. It's Mm -hmm. the end of the world as we know it. Oh, my God. Fantastic song selection. And basically, uh, these uh, scientists are realizing that... um, a giant spaceship, alien spacecraft, is headed straight for Earth. The scientist gets woken up, and he has that great line. It's like one of the first lines in the movie. If this isn't a beautiful woman, I'm going to be very angry. <laughs> well, also, let's 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 talk about how many times you've seen Independence Day, Zach. Oh, man. Believe it or not, I haven't seen Independence Day that many times. I've seen it enough to know the movie pretty well and know the plot and everything, but... I'd say only about three or four times I've seen Independence Day. Okay, did you yeah. catch it in theaters? No. No, me neither. I was too, I, I was too theaters. young at that yeah. time. I was only seeing a few movies around. Uh, and that wouldn't have been a movie that I would have been taken to go see either. <laughs> it's true, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what about you? How uh, You said that you watch Independence Day a lot, right? Independence Day was a movie that I actually used to watch a lot on the holiday or around July. It was It's a movie that feels very summery to me. We spoke earlier about uh, how many VHS tapes my family used to own. We used to own a very limited, you know, you'd watch the same 10 movies again and again. And Independence Day was one of those movies because I remember this was a big movie when it came out on VHS. Yeah. Had the holographic cover and everything. It was awesome. Those were the good days. Oh, the holographic cover. That was, those were that rare, was great, dude. Yeah. But yeah, but but if you find them, you kept them. I remember. I think I had a friend who had the holographic VHS. We never watched the movie, but I always looked at the cover. Yeah, you just move, and that that image of the White House exploding was everywhere. Like yeah. that's one of the most iconic film images of the '90s by far. So we're introduced then to David Levinson, played by the gorgeous Jeff Goldblum. He's an MIT trained, I think, a satellite technician, um, but he's very. Uh, not living up to his full potential. Kind and of an underachiever. For sure, for sure. And he, he's also in a relationship with, what, what is she in comparison to the President of the United States? Like I, this woman that he had a I former relationship with. Is she Secretary of State or Press Secretary? Who I thought she? she was Secretary of Staff or Okay, something. she's something. I, yeah, uh, who does it, does it matter? <laughs> it should. It really should. It should matter, but in the context of this film, doesn't matter. So basically, we're following a standard Roland Emmerich, who I failed to mention. This is directed by Roland Emmerich. Mm-hmm. I, I've got a few of his other credits here of, of films he's directed, and they're all very much of the same type of ilk. Stargate, Universal Soldier, the 1998 Godzilla. Yeah. The Patriot, The Day After Tomorrow, 10,000 BC, 2012, Anonymous, which I never saw, White House Down, and of course, most recently, Independence Day Resurgence. Terrible filmography I mean, right I think there. I got maybe one or two of those movies that I actually like. Yeah, I mean, and all, and even those are guilty pleasures. You can't, yeah. I don't know. The Patriot's not a bad movie. I guess it's probably the best movie out of those, but still. But I think it's still, damn. I, I don't know. You still, you watch The Patriot and you're like, oh, I shouldn't like this movie so much, but. <laughs> But oh my God, do I like this movie? God damn you, Mel Gibson. <laughs> that was that was a thing also that I remember writing down when we first started watching the movie the other night was um, because we watched it on the 4th of July, was I going to like this movie more because we were watching it on the 4th of July? I think it's hard for anyone to watch this movie and not enjoy the speech part of it. And yeah. while you're watching that on the 4th of July, it definitely amps you the 
you're you're jacked. You're yeah. jacked. No, I'm just. I was just thinking maybe if I was watching this like in the middle of December or February, would I be like so like? Uh... You'd pop it out. You'd take it out and throw it across the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Fair enough. So as we mentioned earlier, like this is a typical Roland Emmerich movie. It's one of those disaster movies where you're introduced to these side characters throughout the the movie, and they're technically smaller, and then they wind up filtering into the plot somehow later on, becoming you know important. So we have these small characters such as jeff goldblum we're later introduced to will smith who's a fighter pilot Mm -hmm. he is married or dating he's dating that's right because there's an engagement later on that's a plot point that's true he's dating a stripper vivica a fox yes kill bills vivica a fox yep and uh but yes the uh, the other central character of this movie pretty much is the uh, president of the united states portrayed by bill pullman and my god tell me you didn't get just like goosebumps the second you saw bill pullman in this movie the hair stood up the on the back of my neck amazing. dude amazing he's about to go to bed and his hair is like it's perfectly quaffed perfect. i can't i wish i was this man but how creepy is it is it the first scene you see he's like he's sitting in the bed in the white house and he's on the phone with his wife and he's like i have to warn you i'm st- sitting next to a gorgeous brunette and his daughter sleeping next it's like he's like eight and it's portrayed by i think her name's mae whitman who was later replaced by michael monroe in the sequel because she apparently wasn't good looking enough to be in the sequel very terrible really bad yeah she's also in scott pilgrim versus world a bunch of movies but anyway exactly i'm doing it right now like i'm I'm losing my train of thought because of bill the thought of bill pullman dude it keeps me up at night. I mean, every line that he delivers in this movie is so, like, it sounds like he's making the speech already. Like, <laughs> it does. anything's happened. But it's also so laid back. And, like, even when he's in these intense moments, he still he feels like he's half falling asleep. Like, he never feels fully in the moment. Yeah, and it's it's weird because... It kind of goes against how they introduce him because he sits down with whatever this character that Jeff Goldblum's ex-wife is. Um, and they're talking about how Congress hates him because, like, they think he's too young to be president. Whereas the reason he won the election was because he was so energetic and youthful. Right, but he's just this laid-back, like, chill so dude all like, the time. So, like... There's aliens up in space. Tell me the truth. There's an Area 51. <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll later. get to that. But good lord. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, we're we're also introduced to Jeff Goldblum while he's playing chess with his ultra Jewish father. Oh, it's the worst, the most stereotypical, stereotypical Jewish father ever, played by Robert Loggia, I believe. <laughs> and it is insane. It's so bad, and like it's it starts with them playing chess, and then. Jeff Goldblum beats him, and he gets, like, all complaining. He's like, that's not a checkmate. That's not a checkmate. <laughs> it's, like, so, like... And get ready, because you're going to hear about another 45 minutes of that guy of just incessant talking. And I've heard that he's even worse in the sequel. Oh, he's... Everybody is insufferable in the sequel. The only person not insufferable is probably Jeff Goldblum, but Jeff Goldblum kind of just reminds you that he's Jeff Goldblum. Of like, course. He's, he's you know, almost... Impossible to like, yeah. unlike it, rather. One of the things that I also want to bring up, like right before uh, we're introduced to Jeff Goldblum and his father, there's a bunch of white flashes to introduce location. Dude, these white flashes accompanied by a loud <laughs> sound. <laughs> They're insane. It's, 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 I, they don't make movies like this anymore. No, they really don't. And, and you watch it and 
we both have some experience with video editing and could you just see yourself like going through the process of like, I know how to do this. It takes two seconds. Why is this in the movie? <laughs> yeah. The white flash. Why don't you Probably add a company, a little whoosh noise whoosh to be noise back to it. Exteriors in New York city. It's going to be great. Cut to a park, cut to a park. And dude, not only that, but the titles also are making some crazy noises and effects. They're blowing up and shit. The words when it says 20th century Fox presents. I mean, this movie your is face. very in your it face. It is Excess right out of the game. Exemplified, absolutely. Okay, We're so- also introduced to Randy Quaid, who is a farmer, I guess? He claims that he's been abducted by aliens. Yeah. And is also the butt of many jokes throughout the film about how they've sodomized him, I guess, to gain information. Yeah, it, he's, it's like a town legend. He's a drunk crop duster. <laughs> and, and we know this because he starts out by crop dusting the wrong field. That's the wrong field! That's the wrong field! Oh, can we talk about his son for a second? <laughs> yeah, we absolutely can. His son is played by Frank the Bunny from Donnie Darko, and he wow. is something else. He's so bad at this. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, for, like, it, it's funny yeah, because, because I remember watching this and thinking that his children and that character in general... Um, having so much more to do with this movie and they're just so thrown away in this film like you don't really like you get it like his children are a little disappointed it takes like one scene to establish that and that's kind of it there's no like real redemption story for these characters till the very very last minute yeah and that's the problem with i would say the majority of roland emmerich's films is that he sets up these characters and even if you accidentally find some of them interesting he cuts away from them for so long and and chooses to to stick with these really bland boring characters for the most part and then he'll cut back so it's like even if you do get invested by the time it all pays off it's not worth it like yeah, it's really you not can't worth remember it remember anybody's names like so it's, many there's just so many people so much shit happening but anyway this is this is by far i think his best his probably his best movie yeah i'd agree with even that. probably better than the patriot to some extent to some extent maybe that's... dude again we're gonna we'll talk <laughs> this, is, this isn't the patriot this isn't the patriot, <laughs> this isn't the patriot. We're, moving on. we're moving on so what are we i think we're still on july 2nd and that's when they they start saying like how do you know that it's like an air, an air a, a space ship or something and they're yeah. like well it's it's slowing down it's slowing down and then it breaks apart into I can't remember how many they said, maybe like 20 or so different spaceships, and they all enter into Earth's atmosphere, and it takes them by complete and total surprise, because they see this thing up there, and they're like, huh, they take like 10 minutes to just be like, huh, what's that? And then like an intern comes in, and he's like, they're entering the atmosphere, and they're like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> Not to mention, as it's ripping through our atmosphere at such high speed, I guess, that it's literally creating a firestorm on the outside of this aircraft <laughs> oh, that is yeah. burning up everything in its path, including these, like, pilots eventually that get, like, completely destroyed by this. It's a yeah, firestorm. It's so out of, like, just, they they don't even see the spacecraft. They just look up, and there's just a fireball in the sky, and it just burns everybody up. And this, I think at this point, we're probably close to like 35 minutes into this movie. This is a it's long a movie. Yeah, it really is. I didn't realize how long it is, whereas our movie last week was 80 minutes long. Yeah, well, this one is, there's just so much expository extra scenes that really just seem like filler. Like, you could probably take entire characters out of this movie and just shorten, condense it, and it'd be a better movie. And oh, we, it wouldn't be any worse. I don't think there's a need for more than half the characters in the movie. Like, like the president's wife. 
Or uh, Jeff Goldblum's silly, his friend who plays, who's also in Mrs. Doubtfire, who's talking about his lawyer. Oh, the guy the with time. the voice. Harry Firestorm or whatever, Harry Fire. What oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Harry Firestein, that's right. Yes. That one is, yeah. <laughs> I love that guy. Anyway, um, so then, you know, there's, there's all this talk. Are they hostile? What are their plans? Um, what should we do? So they're trying to plan some sort of attack. And isn't there some sort of ticking clock? There's a timer, right? Well, well, at this point, all the spaceships are over major cities, and they're still debating on whether or not to evacuate cities. And Jeff Goldblum, who has traveled all the way oh, that's right. up to meet the president, who he says he's met and punched before, but you really wouldn't know that after their first encounter, where he just goes, oh, what's he doing here, or something like that. Yeah. And then that's it. Do I mean, they don't really like at like whatever this is, 136 minutes long, however long this movie is. I would have waited and loved an extra three minute flashback scene to see young Goldboom and young Pullman fighting each other oh, in a bar absolutely. or whatever happens. Apparently, like, well, they never even really tell you. It's like, over the girl. It's over the this girl. Oh, apparently, okay. I believe is is what's and again why it matters because would... yeah he's he's married. The president's married. I don't know how long his yeah. what not something I would have caught because. I, it's hard to keep up with this movie sometimes when it's not just explosions. But anyway, Jeff Goldblum comes in and he's found a way to tap into like the aliens satellites or they've tapped into our satellites. And so he accesses the satellites. Long, we don't understand computers long, in 1996. So it's just a, a lot of stupid story short. <laughs> um, he has uh, Jeff Goldblum finds a countdown in the system and it's and they're trying to figure out and you know they evacuate the white house because they're like oh that sounds menacing and they leave and when it counts down to zero the aliens open fire on every major monument in the world (laughs) yeah it's a giant coordinated attack uh once the timer reaches zero they activate these giant devastating like energy beams down yeah. to all this shit and it just starts blowing everything away and this is when we get some of these cool uh sh- mini miniatures and 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 sets this is far and away the best five minutes of the movie yes where they're just blowing up buildings and these miniatures and like we said earlier it just looks incredible it, it, they don't make special effects like this anymore where they're just using practical effects taking these miniatures and taking the time to make sure that it looks really good there's a weight to something being blown up physically on set that you can't get now with you know the cgl but that's why it all just looks like bullshit like it's after a while if you watch all these superhero movies with all these buildings falling down again and again it's just the same shit. You can tell when it's real, and like, even though you can tell it's also kind of a miniature, it's like that weird like fondness for a better time in you cinema. Don't really so you care. kind of forgive it. Yeah, you yeah. forgive it absolutely. Yeah, but so they they start blowing up everything. Um, millions and millions of people are dying. It's thrown away. It doesn't matter. People dead. Who cares? What matters is that there's a dog, Brandon, and I want to talk about. The dog. Yeah, we were talking about how there are good special effects, and then there there are a few of these green screens throughout the movie that are uh, not too not too good. They don't help. They don't hold their. Uh, they don't hold up. It's really bad. So Will Smith's has gone off to fight the aliens, and his girlfriend and her son are left to flee the city. I can't remember which city. Again, doesn't matter. Um, and. She heads for, like, this door next to an underground tunnel. I think it's a maintenance door. So she goes in, and her dog, who she's also taken, 
is still in the road and she calls the dog. The dog turns really quick and the explosions like coming closer and closer and closer. And the dog in the most action sequence maybe ever made jumps over a car with the world exploding behind him. And it's terrible. It looks so bad and makes it in and survives. Dude, what happens to the dog later on in this movie? Do we ever see what happens to that dog? Oh, the dog is in Area 51, which we will go over how easy it is, apparently, to access Area 51. That's right. Well, before we get there, I do want to mention when we're first introduced to Will Smith and Bevy K. Fox, they get out, he gets out of bed, goes to check the paper. Everyone in this movie, for some reason, has zero peripheral vision. Because whenever they exit a building and there's a spaceship the size of, uh, of a state overhead, it's gigantic. It's miles, thousands of miles long. They can't see until they look up. It's very bizarre. They all have the same exact reaction, stupid face, where they look I, up. <laughs> I really wish we could have timed it because I'm not kidding. It takes Will Smith about a minute, 60 <laughs> seconds of him standing outside and looking at everybody else looking up for him to turn around, look up, and see this spaceship. And then his wife comes out and she's like, honey, what's going on? She's walking towards it. Her head is up and she's walking towards the spaceship. If people wa- if people lived this way in New York City, just walking the streets, everyone would be dead. Dead. You can't, I can't, I can't hold up my phone and not see things that are around me this is this is bad like they need to get some shit checked out <laughs> honestly it was it, it's it's so funny and you can tell they're just trying to build tension but it's just so like how do you not notice the giant spaceship so some of the white house staff is is evacuated the president wants to stay behind but uh he winds up leaving this is when we get that iconic shot of the the white house blowing up it's pretty sweet yep. you can see all the shit like blowing off if it just feels there's a weight to it it just feels more realistic than yep. cgi bullshit so then i think we're moving on to july 3rd july 3rd next day 1996 so this is when international leaders start discussing, like, how are we going to attack back? This is when we get more of Will Smith's story, and he's we're also introduced to his his wingman, his pretty much Top Gun wingman. It's Iceman in the flesh, only now it's Harry Connick Jr. It's Harry Connick Jr. And they have this whole discussion about his engagement proposal. He plans on proposing to his, his girlfriend, and it's... <laughs> it's so stupid. Also thrown away here, and I think this is right before... Uh, they go to fight the aliens. He's got a letter from NASA in his <laughs> That's locker right. Because apparently, not that we would ever figure this out from anything else in the movie, but Will Smith wants to be an astronaut. It's brought up once and then maybe a second time towards the end of the movie. That's it. Yeah. It, I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it just makes it a cooler, you know, journey for the character if he gets to space and which he does later on in this movie we'll get there yeah but that there there's a lot of weird again we talked about this they don't develop their characters very well no not at all i mean even bill pullman's not really developed i mean no one grows in this movie no for sure no one really changes i also really quick side note um they're, you know, they have a lot of news breaks in this where, you know, the anchors are telling you what's going on. Um, my favorite part of the news breaks and probably the most realistic thing in this movie 
is when they're asking people not to shoot their guns at the spaceship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you might start an intergalactic war, and I was like, oh, man, I could see so many people just getting drip. First of all, it's July 2nd or 3rd, people getting rip-roaring drunk yeah. on the weekend holiday and just firing their guns. That and, like, you can also see the other side of those people who are like, we love them, we want to meet them, come mm-hmm. down and... I, I will give Cuddle. it. I will. <laughs> I will give it to this movie. They do a very good job at creating what the atmosphere and the social sort of response would be to aliens coming down. You get a lot of people panicking. You get a lot of people who are seeing this as an opportunity to make peace, and of course, a lot of people whose first reaction is to shoot it. Well, that's what's interesting about this movie, and I think how it kind of was uh, created was out of this idea that most aliens in movies, when they get to Earth, they hide or they're very secret. Like, what if we had aliens that just came and wanted to kill us all? And mm-hmm. it's, it's it's an interesting premise, and it's it's very compelling. And I think after years of watching it again and again, like we have, it's just been turned in and out of so many movies. Yeah, I think when it, you probably when you first watched this back in '96, it was probably like pretty damn cool. It's kind of a cool concept, and like you said, one that's just been done so many times since then. You think of like signs, even like Martian or Mars attacks. Yeah, Mars attacks was actually postponed because of this movie yeah. as well, and. Uh, Steven Spielberg was going to do War of the Worlds much sooner and wound up doing it not until, I think, 2004. They kick some ass, though, when they start. So they start shooting up these ships, and they realize that it's all protected by this giant force field. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are, like, crashing into it and exploding. There's so many exploding people in this movie. Honestly, it's pretty cool. Because you don't get to see fireworks in a movie called Independence Day, so you, the next best thing is people. <laughs> flaming corpses flaming so corpses. meanwhile this is also when bill pullman is kind of introduced to area 51 and the entire uh, the, the fact that we have known i guess that aliens um have been to earth before yeah. his secretary of defense refuses to mention this up to july 3rd like july 2nd we have confirmed that aliens are on our in our atmosphere on top of our cities and the secretary of defense still does not mention <laughs> it takes him a full day a full <laughs> day yeah and and bill pullman even brings it up he's like you knew they were here and you didn't say anything <laughs> and they just gloss over yeah, like, no, no. It's like, sorry whoopsie daisy <laughs> even as we were like flying here there's like 10 scenes of us on a plane you couldn't tell me then what's happening <laughs> there's a lot of plane scenes in this movie so many plane scenes dude of <laughs> just like cuts cut ins of people talking on a plane i was it was definitely like we've spent so much money on these explosions we don't have any budget left for like a location shot so i think it's about this time that harry connick jr fucking dies, he <laughs> dies he gets like I, I don't know what's happening to his character, though, because he's like, I can't breathe or something like it's completely unexplained what happens to him that leads to his death. I think they were just like, like starts, he just needs to die. Yeah, <laughs> he like starts panicking or something. Yeah. He takes his mask off and he like loses control of his plane and just dies. And like, you know, Will Smith's best friend and wingman. And he's just like, damn, <laughs> I'm going to kill these aliens. So he does. So I will say that this is when they use some special effects or some computer generated. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't hold up. A lot of the flying scenes, anything while it's in motion, kind of looks a little cheesy, a little cartoony. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it it's is, Will Smith quipping. It is what it is. And I remember the first time I saw this when I was a little bit younger, just being uh, fascinated with the whole dog fighting with the alien ships and the whole flying thing in general. Because, you know, that was back when I, 
I'm still a Star Wars fan, but that was what I was into was the Star Wars-esque kind of like dogfighting. And so I remember liking that a lot, but you're, you're right, watching it now, um, you notice that it's not really that well done. Yeah. So they're flying through this valley or something in the middle of the desert. Will Smith tricks the alien by blowing up his own ship. And ejecting. And ejecting and taking out one of the aliens, which is great that you took out one alien and then Will Smith proceeds to celebrate like he's just won the war. He took out one ship. Yeah, he's screaming, uh, you know, hooting and hollering, walking over, just talking shit as he's approaching this alien aircraft. And let's just think about how popular Will Smith was when this movie came out. So this is at the this is at the very beginning of his superstar, like because he was in Bad Boys, Six yep. Degrees of Separation. He was in a few movies, but this was the movie that kicked him into like. Yeah, I mean, he was he was still on the Fresh Prince and everything, and yep. a lot of people knew him from that. But this is really the movie that kind of like pushed him over the edge in terms of being that superstar that you just wanted in your movie because you knew he was going to be drawing a lot of people to the box office. Yeah, we don't know too much about it today in 2017, but back in the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s, if Will Smith was in a movie like every other summer and it was awesome. Like, people loved his shit no matter what he was in. Well, think about it, Men in Black. I Did you see Wild Wild West in Dude, the theaters? Dude, I did not I, see it in theaters. I saw it in theaters. I wanted to, and then I wound up getting it on DVD later on. Sorely disappointed, terrible film, but... He's also entertaining us. Stay tuned. That could be a stay tuned. That's a, stay God, tuned. that's a terrible movie. That's a bad movie. But anyway, <laughs> so Will Smith, um, he's celebrating. He took out an alien. Um, it's pretty funny, blah, blah, blah. He walks towards the ship. He opens it. And this is when you get your first look at kind of the aliens. Turns out they're in a suit. But the alien jumps out at him. And maybe the third most iconic thing about this movie Will Smith proceeds to punch the alien and go, welcome to Earth. Now, he says welcome to Earth. And a lot of us, I think, in American culture have, it's one of those famous movie lines that we just get wrong. I think a lot of people have the misconception that he says, welcome to Earth. But he doesn't. It's Earth. It was disappointing to me as well. Actually, yeah. it, re it warranted a rewind from all of us. <laughs> yeah, which is uh, really racist of you, America. Honestly, it is. But it's also like kind of finding out that Santa Claus wasn't real as you rewind <laughs> and you play it back and you're like, seriously? Uh, he said Earth. Wow, he's a true thespian. <laughs> Shit, I'm going to have to get this tattoo of Welcome to Earth <laughs> taken off my back. Anyway, but what's funny about the, uh, the alien design... Uh, the production designer uh, presented Roland Emmerich, the director, with two concepts for the aliens, and he liked them so much that he was just like, let's just put one inside the other. <laughs> so literally, that's is? literally why it has a, a, like a biomechanical suit that's at the, ex the outside and the inside. I like the huh. outside much better than the inside. I think the inside's too much close encounter -y. Well, you know, it's funny that you say the inside was close encounter because I kind of think the outside... Reminds me a little bit of Predator. I can see that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool looking aliens, and especially in that context of the film where you're you're more than halfway through it, or maybe you're halfway through I don't know. So it's, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a long movie. But, you know, seeing the aliens for the first time that you just saw blow up the entire planet, it was kind of a cool reveal, and it was even cooler to watch Will Smith punch him. <laughs> oh, so hang on a second. I know we've passed this miles by, and oh, I, just, I really just have to touch on this, though. Say you wake up, you look outside, there's a goddamn alien spaceship, you turn on the news, that's real, there's alien ships all over the world. Would you, as Vivica Fox, go to work as a stripper same day? <laughs> I think aliens, it, like, coming to work, to Earth, 
is an excusable like day off. Listen, man, she's at that time a single mom. Yes, her boyfriend lives with her and is Will Smith and works for the Air Force. But she's a single mom. Ultimately, the responsibility falls on her. What if these aliens are famous or peaceful? Gotta get paid, bro. It's true. You gotta get paid. But if you notice while she's in the club shaking it, no one else is there. That's true. And so she's leaving empty handed. Well, at that point, I probably would have gone home. Well, yeah, and I think she does, but I, I, I wouldn't even drive in the first place. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. It's all about circumstance. I don't know. I'm I'm that kind of poor where I, if I see an alien ship, I probably have to go and work that day. Who's watching the sun, though? Will Smith leaves. Does she have a babysitter? Is he at home alone? That's true. Who who agreed to be like, hey, listen, I know aliens, but like, <laughs> yeah, that means gotta work to tonight. Can you come watch the kid, please? No, there's fucking aliens. I'm leaving now with my family. You should do the same. No, seriously, like, I gotta go to work today. It's Deborah, you have to go. No, 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 no. You gotta watch gotta the kid. Gotta make that money, money. Gotta make that money, money. Anyway, where are we? We were talking about Will Smith punching the alien. They've tried to attack these ships it doesn't work and everybody's really sad at this point they're in area 51 right now they're considering using atomic bombs to try and blow up the ship hoping that the bombs can penetrate the shield and will smith hitches a ride with a bunch of rvs we're also uh, introduced to this concept brent spiner who's also in the sequel to this movie he plays what the hell is he? Some sort of scientist he's, he's a doctor scientist. yeah he's the long-haired scientist guy um who gets put into a coma at the end of this movie because we're introduced to this idea that aliens have this like telekinetic power that will pretty much destroy or fry a human brain. Although they do not say you can tell that this movie was not supposed to have a sequel because they don't say in Independence Day that he lived because they they go to feel his pulse and he's white face. He's pale and his eyes are open. Yep. Spoiler alert. He's the worst part of the second movie. He's the yeah. absolute worst part of the second movie. He's so bad. He's so frustrating. I wish he had died in the first movie. <laughs> I wish he had died in the first movie. And I'm sorry, but, like, I wish he had died in the first Holy movie. Holy shit, dude. <laughs> anyway. Hashtag kill Dr. Brackish Oaken. That's his name, dude. Oh, okay. Wouldn't have known that. I Brackish Oaken. Brackish? That guy needs to get up. Oh, this is enough. <laughs> anyway. So he passes out. Then Bill Pullman's pretty much like, if you want to fuck with me. <laughs> yes. Well, this is this is Bill Pullman. They, so Will Smith at this point has hitched a ride with the RVs and s- somehow talked his way into Area 51 with everybody else in the RV caravan, which makes no sense. Like, I get like, hey, a captain with the U.S. Air Force just pulled up to Area 51 with the corpse of an alien. Maybe let him through. <laughs> the hundreds of civilians in the RV, like they're just like, no, let them all through. You're going to have to wait. Area 51, <laughs> that is example one of the lax security at Area 51. The president didn't know about this a day ago. Yeah. The president didn't know about this a day ago. And cut five minutes later, the president is carrying his daughter through like top secret classified storage facilities with aliens in it. She is screwed for life, dude. The shit she saw, there's like aliens floating in gelatin and all kinds of weird shit. She doesn't know aliens exist until that day. Her whole mind is blown. So anyway, um, they, they do what they think is an autopsy on the alien. It turns out it's alive. It chokes Dr. Oaken Brackish. Brackish Oaken. Brackish. 
excuse me. That's my other tattoo. How dare I? (laughs) Um, They choke the doctor and use him to talk. Uh, Alan. Alan. (laughs) Terrible reference. (laughs) (laughs) But so they talk to Bill Pullman, and Bill Pullman gets uh, kinetically, like, gets a kinetic headache. uh, and, And that gives Bill Pullman all of the information he needs about their plan. He, like in that split five seconds, he's like, oh, I've seen their plan. <laughs> they go from planet to planet, <laughs> exterminate the population, use all the resources and move on. <laughs> and we're next. <laughs> and that's like the screenwriter saying, we don't, we, we can't make these aliens just like talk to them and tell them what's up. So no. we have to get the president to somehow deliver yeah, this information. No, and, it, and it is literally like in the writing process or maybe even in filming, they were like, Hey, have we explained why they're here? <laughs> oh, and, oh God, no! Guys, this is the last day before production ends. Like, we gotta. Get, where's Bill? <laughs> Bill, get in here, man. Put that hairpiece on. Bill, read no, off. We the, know it's real. We no, know it's we real. We know it's real. Come on. <laughs> All right, Bill, read off the cue card. Right. This sounds kind of stupid, you guys. Bill, please just read it. We have to send this to the edit. <laughs> <laughs> You've got three years to late plastic. <laughs> so I think that brings us to July fourth. I think does. this is the day. I think that brings us to the 4th of July. Uh, families have been reunited somehow um, because Will Smith's girlfriend, who's standing in the rubble with the president's oh, wife, right. which, weird coincidence, they are picked up by a helicopter, which comes out of nowhere, and why would it be there? Takes them to Area 51 again. All these people who shouldn't have access to Area 51, including Jeff Goldblum's father, who seems to make a habit of, like, injecting himself in a conversation of top secret national security. He's like, like they're all yelling. He's like, hey, shut up for a second. <laughs> listen to my son. Listen to my uh, son. Uh, you should have listened to him. Uh, uh, and then Jeff Goldblum uh, <laughs> decides uh, yeah, that uh, or comes up with the idea that in order to defeat them, they have to not they have to def- like blow up their uh, defense mechanism, their shield. Um, so they got to get the defenses down. Give them a virus, a virus. Oh, my God. So he decides to, yeah, upload a computer virus to the mothership. It's it's. This this is arguably the dumbest plot device. It it very much was like a we have kind of rode ourselves into a corner here. How do we get back out of it? I don't know. Jeff Goldblum's is a brilliant computer guy and he gives him a virus. Dude, I can't grasp who thought that would be like it's it's put on a floppy disk, dude. It's put on a floppy disk. Floppy disk. They fly up there to like import it into this space it just makes no sense what is it doing how does it even i don't understand so why would alien why would alien technology match our technology yeah, how well, how can we insert it with a floppy disk i don't know i'm sure it's very much just like a hey this is science deal with it that's don't the, ask too yeah, many questions those are the luxuries that screenwriters had back in the 90s and 80s they like the modern american person does not understand a goddamn thing about computers they didn't think in the 90s that assholes like us would get microphones and talk about them absolutely not no like movies like johnny mnemonic or the lawnmower man like their t- technology science is baffling so like childlike in yeah. its in its <laughs> structure and, and 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 ideas it makes no sense so Uh, Before we get too far into the whole virus thing, they've decided they're going to go do this. Uh, They're like, well, nobody knows how to fly the ship to get into the mothership to trick them. And Will Smith suddenly decides that he knows how to fly it. He has one mess up and then he flies it perfectly. Um, 
besides that, on the other side, he's married his stripper girlfriend. Um, Jeff Goldblum and his ex-wife decide that they're going to get back together. You know, personal ties are being wrapped up here. The drunk father has decided to sober up in less than 24 hours and fight for the U.S. Air Force while they, you know, he's, I don't know if he's ever flown a fighter jet. Yep. It's very glossed over. Oh, yeah, he was, I think he was in some war. He was war. in Vietnam, yeah, Vietnam, I think he yes. said. So, and Bill Pullman also decides, hey, we need fighter pilots. I used to be a fighter pilot. Let's, I, I'm going to go up there and fight. And this is when it all happens. This is arguably cinema's most famous speech, most rousing speech. It really, it. I was just, I was saying to you when we watched this, that after that speech, I was rejuvenated with this movie because it, it's lulling me to sleep a little bit. It's not really impressed me other than maybe a few scenes. And then Bill Pullman delivers this unbelievable speech. And suddenly I'm like, you know what? This is a good movie. And I, and that's when I realized, wait a minute, they tricked me. Yeah. Cause it's such a well-written speech and it's not very, it's very simple, very like kind of, uh, middle America, like yeah, hoorah even, patriotism. It's not even really delivered that well, but it's, it's Bill Pullman and it's just the way that like his character has been so like bleh. Yes. The no, movie. you're right. You're right. And his one moment of inspiration and it really, that's, he flexes his acting talents for just like two minutes in this movie and you're and you're amped up about it and i think all that build up to it just helped so much and it's it is a great speech we will not go quietly into the night <laughs> we will not vanish without a fight oh my god and the whole part about it the fourth of july will no longer be an american <laughs> holiday but it's a day that the world unites and oh my god dude i mean it's pretty epic and if you ever just need like a little bit of inspiration just go listen to the independence day speech not the Independence Day resurgence speeches, because it doesn't happen. But you're right. This does rejuvenate you for the set, like the last bit of this. The, I guess the third the last, act, like good twenty like twenty five minutes. Twenty five minutes. It's pretty really, solid. Yeah, it it's you know it's a big fight again. It's pilots just going after a small aircraft. Um, Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum are in space. They're buddies now. They're best friends. They're bantering back and forth. Oh, dude. the banter. You can tell half of this is improvised, but like they were probably just behind the camera like, this is all gold. Jeff Goldblum asks him, hey, can you fly us out of here? And, he, and Will Smith goes, I ain't heard no fat lady sing. And Jeff Goldblum goes like, wait, the fat lady. Always with the fat lady. You're obsessed with the fat lady. Oh, oh fat lady. And oh. it's like, that probably was improvised. Oh, yeah. And you're absolutely right. The filmmakers were probably just like, oh, my God. Nothing we write would be as good as this. They're so good. <laughs> so, but seriously, Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith, that is like a, a casting duo that I would like to see revisited. And, you know, it's sad because I feel like rewatching this, I feel like they were a little underused. They were, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. They, were a li they weren't really utilized that much. And you'd think the second Independence Day would have fixed that because Jeff Goldblum gets way more screen time in the second one. Yeah. But obviously Will Smith not in the second one. Yeah, don't they kill him off? Yeah, he's dead in the second one, I think. I think they I forgot what happened to him, but he he's dead. Um it's sad. All the characters are replaced by terrible people. But anyway, so they they install the virus and then they launch a nuke in the mothership. Randy Quaid. Randy Quaid sacrifices himself sacrifices for all of America, yeah, of the world. Which 
give this movie any credit, it's just like a couple of lines because what's another the one part you remember from his character in this movie. Absolutely, is the blue light shining on his face as he shoots up towards that like a beam and just yells, Hello, boys! Yes, I'm, I'm back! back! <laughs> Which is... And then blows up. And then blows up and it blows up the mothership. Presumably they chase away all the other ships or something like that. It's not really explained. And then they use Morse code to tell the rest of the world how to blow up the rest of the ships. Which they act like anyone can do. This was a light, like a life-harrowing mission that barely worked. Like, yeah. I don't know why they're just like, hey, we'll give you the goddamn, like, Google instructions. And I, you can... I guess the only part about it that was good was that they blew up the mothership and that brought down the shields around the rest of the world. But, okay, yeah. And, yeah. and so I, I guess there's that. But you'd think after word got around that the first mothership blew up after they opened the main weapon they just wouldn't open the main weapon on in all the other spaceships around the world let's be honest if aliens came here dude we're fucked we're not in good shape dude. humans like that's the problem with this movie largely is that it just it just portrays aliens as so stupid like it, yeah. if this were to happen they're extraterrestrial life they've mastered space travel far better than us yeah they got to be smart enough to beat a 90s computer virus, one. Oh, and yeah. even if it were to somehow happen on one of them, they... Th- <laughs> it, you think they don't have early warning virus detection? <laughs> you think they don't have anti-Norton antivirus or some shit? Yeah, they, oh, the floppy disk, it beat us. God damn it! <laughs> I mean, it's an underdog movie, which is what it boils down to, but it's... In this movie, it really doesn't seem like you have any chance to win, but they pull it off, and that's what makes it an even more unbelievable movie. Dude, it's a Hail Mary. And I'm trying to think back on a lot of these other alien invasion films, what their plan is in the end, because I know, you know, humans usually always win in these movies. It's a lot of just like rising up. It it, it kind of follows the same formula that this movie follows, which is just like, you know, we get beat around a little bit and then we stand up and we punch back and the aliens go away. Or they uh, decide that they can't breathe the air or the water. <laughs> shit man yeah exactly signs that's all i'm thinking of now. signs and war of the worlds where they're like oh, they didn't see the bacteria why didn't they see the bacteria yeah I, I mean like you think about a movie like uh arrival and that's one that really got it right like a reasoning yeah. for why they came and things like that like that was a cool movie because you it was kind of the opposite where all the alien movies are they want to destroy us and arrival was like no we need your help exactly yeah kind of like space jam it all comes back to Space Jam. That's the real theme of this podcast, folks. Everything comes back to Space Jam. <laughs> but for as long as this movie is, it it, te- it really wraps up pretty quickly. Like, as soon as the, all the, the alien ship oh, is yeah. defeated, it's, I think, a solid five minutes, and we're fucking out of no there. No exposition, no just like, hey, where are we're going to rebuild. Yeah, nope. Even um, Deep Impact had that brief scene where they're like, hey, we're going to rebuild, and we'll be fine. No, this movie is like, fade to black. All right. I'm out of here. Done. Independence Day. So, man, what'd you think? Your thoughts on Independence Day? (laughs) So, I I like Independence Day. And again, I think I liked it partly because we watched it on the 4th of July. It's not a great movie. Mm -mm. Um, There are some things in it, especially the special effects, that really are outstanding. And the speech is obviously the highlight of the movie. But if you really think about it, it's not a great movie. And it kind of falls into a lot of those other movies that this director made where it's just like, it feels a little hollow. 
in terms of character development yep. and plot and it just kind of feels slapped together but it makes up for it in a lot of pleasing ways you know in terms of special effects yeah no i i agree i i like the cast too i think there's a, a solid five or six actors in here that i'd watch in pretty much anything just because oh, yeah. they're enjoyable performers um and so that goes a long way that it's it's paced very poorly there are a lot of stretches where it's like all right come on get this going because yeah. it's not but that's the thing that i will give it is that i think it feels like it understands that it's a little campy it doesn't go over the, the push that boundary too far but it's mm-hmm. almost like a starship troopers or something where it's like it recognizes the satirical and kind of dumbness of it all yeah but it's not smart enough to subvert any like expectations or genre cliches or anything like that it's okay with what it is sure yeah i think it could have benefited from a little bit of character development because let's be honest as much as i loved bill pullman and jeff goldblum and will smith i wouldn't have cared if any of their characters died that's true. I wish we just had more of them. Maybe take out some of these extra characters that you don't need instead of focusing on such this like very dull scientific minutia of it all. If it's not going to make sense, which they, it clearly doesn't, just really you just skim over it and like don't give it, don't try to explain it so much because I think that's what makes it even sound more dumb. You have to be careful because what this mo- movie reminds me of a little bit in terms of movies that we see today is a movie like Transformers and a lot of Michael Bay films where it's just like, you know, this formula works for one movie, but it's not going to work all the time. And you've seen that with almost every Michael Bay film and even its own Independence Day. I mean, they tried this again, but it wasn't campy. The characters, again, you didn't care about. And, you know, it was CGI. The whole thing was CGI. And it's it's gotten to the point where it's lost its shine for us. Sure. What I will say is that in comparison to films like Transformers or a lot of the big budget films today, what Independence Day, the first one, I haven't seen the second one, what the first one has going for it, I feel, is that it's it's not cynical. It it feels very earnest in Mm. its in its attempts at just trying to please or entertain an audience. I, I feel like it's not like a product placement jammed like what you'd see today, like pretty much Resurgence is, is the version of that that you'd see today. You see a lot of today is just just like corporate mandated filmmaking and i feel like even though i'm sure this is a this is a huge studio release it just feels more i wouldn't say personal but it feels more like a a, i guess a filmmaker's movie rather than what you see today are these like big budget just like everyone has their ideas and even though a lot of the ideas in this movie are really stupid it just feels like a like a cohesive piece of you know just action blockbuster mindless entertainment and i think this is what we're gonna see in a lot of the films that we cover in this podcast was back then this was acceptable for audiences. Yeah. This was something that got them out of the house for two hours into the movie theater with the air conditioning. It was fun to watch. You didn't really have to think about it too much. I think that if this movie was released and I mean, technically it was with the sequel, but if this specific movie is released today, it does not do as well as it did Absolutely back not. in the 90s. No, and I think that's also because moviegoers are just more cynical now. Mm-hmm. Expect more from their films. Expect them to be smarter. And when they're, they're dumb, yeah. these movies start to fail, which is why we've seen so many of these large blockbuster movies tank. It's tough to recapture that magic of the 90s. So uh, as we start to wrap this up a little bit, you mentioned the Rotten Tomatoes, the rating. 60%. So 60% is just barely fresh. That's honestly... If I gave Space Jam like a 40-45, I think I'd give 
Independence Day. Like a 55, 55, 60. It's maybe a 50. It's, <laughs> it's, it's very dumb. It's very long. It's very bloated. And it's a little too silly in certain spots. But at the same time, it recognizes that it's got a great cast and, you know, some fairly revolutionary special effects that I think still hold up for the most part today. And, you know, I would recommend this to a person who's never seen it. Um, I would give them the caveat that it's not that great, but I would say that if you haven't seen Independence Day, it's worth watching, even just to marvel at what like a typical 90s blockbuster was. Exactly, and I, I think I agree with you. I'd probably give it around a 52, um, not a 50 as well, I should say. I say that's really specific, yeah, Zach. 52. 0.6. with at least uh, three stars. If it um, didn't have Jeff Goldblum's dad, Judd Hirsch, if it didn't have him, right. we might get it to 54. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it it's a movie that, I you know, back in the day, uh, I probably would have liked a lot more, but now it's just, it feels very Hollywood blockbuster to me. And that's not what I'm looking for as a moviegoer. So I think 50 with the positives coming in special effects and uh, some of the great moments that this movie has, but everything else is just, it's not very well made. It's a 90s touchdown, a touchstone. If if scientists years from now like dig up a, you know, some sort of time capsule with 90s movies, if there were 10, Independence Day would have to be in there just to represent that decade truly of what filmmaking was. Yeah. Good or bad, it represents it. One last little tidbit before we head out. Sure. Uh, according to production uh, writer, the guy, not Roland Emmerich, but Dean Devlin, uh, the U.S. military had agreed to support the film by allowing their crew to film at military bases, consulting the actors who have military roles, etc. However, once they realized that they were going to be depicting Area 51, they completely pulled out. <laughs> really? <laughs> so maybe that means it's real, wow. dude. Yeah. Uh, aliens confirmed, bud. <sighs> All right, Zach, you want to touch on uh, next week's episode a little bit? Yeah, so next week, we are going to do one of the 90s most favorite movies you know what i think we're sticking with 1996 too are we really wow. these are the first the last yeah all three first first up 96 what Rob, a year robin williams jumanji and we're kind of doing this in honor of the fact that the sequel or reboot or spinoff whatever it is uh the new jumanji trailer was released we both hate it that's that we'll talk there'll be there'll be a lot of discussion about that next week but so jumanji we're gonna see if that movie holds up now I'm excited. I I love Jumanji. I haven't seen it in years. I have seen Jumanji. Like, I, I probably watched it three years ago. It was a movie, that, again, I watched so many times. But if you have any selections, please uh, email me or Zach. Drop us a line, a comment, a suggestion about a movie that might be good for us to chat about. And right before we leave, just want to thank everybody who listened to episode one and everybody who shared this link. Um, we're hoping to keep this going. We got picked up by the network, which is the good news. The bad news is the network dropped us right after instantly that. absolutely instantly. Yeah. so we're just trying to get picked up by the network again and also one more shout out to spencer roberts for making this incredible graphic as is also his sultry voice you hear there at the beginning also, of the episode yes, introducing his uh, sultry voice episode. in the intro um just want to give a shout out to him because it looks really good and that that wasn't an invitation to come in go back yeah, and get the fuck out of here get in your room spencer. <laughs> get in your room get in your room Now that Spencer's gone, we can end this episode. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Nostalgia Be Damned. My name is Zach. I'm Brandon. And we will see you next week.